The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. I made love to an alien well last night we strolled along together in the pale moonlight i had a funny feeling that something wasn't right i made love to name last night when she gripped my hand i was feeling mighty fine but her fingers with mine would not intertwine when i bent down and gazed into her eyes they were bigger donuts and blacker than the sky Said I'm feeling lonely I said, Lord, so am I We'll stroll along together But we won't question why That ground beneath your feet, dear Is flashing red and white And sprouting little mushrooms left and right Then she threw me down and put me on my back Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide, toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Micah Hanks, and uh, as you know, Exxon Nation, yesterday and today we've been talking about a new book that has been uh, published by our good friends at New Page Books. Their website, by the way, is newpagebooks.com. It's entitled UFOs and Aliens. Is anybody out there? And it consists of a, a number of essays from Stanton T. Friedman, Eric Von Donneken, Nick Pope, Marie D. Jones, Larry Flaxman, Thomas J. Carey, uh, Donald Schmidt, Kathleen Martin, Nick Redfern, John White, John Maroney, Gordon Chisholm, and our guest this hour, Micah Hanks. And uh, Mike has written a, um, a, a, a series or an, an essay that's entitled Cosmic Peeping Toms, UFOs and Invisibility. Joining us now is Micah Hanks. And Micah, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you so much for having me today, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's a great pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on uh, a great essay. I, you know, like this entire book is is something that everyone who's in, you know, has 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 their their head in the sky and their dreams about UFOs and extraterrestrials and much more. This is something definite for their for their library. And and where did you start your quest, your your interest in, in UFOs? Huh? Micah? You know, that's a, that's a good question, uh, because I've been interested in this sort of phenomenon since uh, a very early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my father, who actually is a minister, he's an Episcopal priest, he, he, uh, <laughs> he also, in, in addition to spirituality and things like that, would also supply me with books 
uh, that had to deal with, uh, you know, Bigfoot and yeah. strange hominids or cryptozoological creatures, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't the typical kids' books that you can find in the libraries. I mean, one of the earliest books I remember coming across was Ivan Sanderson's Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life. But along with that, I was also given Ray Fowler's UFOs, Interplanetary Visitors, which I think is just a great kind of a, a primer, an introduction to that to this sort of subject. It this, sure is, yeah. Yeah, this idea of there being, you know, well, at least throughout various times, you know, in the last several decades, what may have been considered, uh, you know, extraterrestrial mm-hmm. visitors from space. Some people still consider them that, but there are also other theories these days. And so that, that was kind of my introduction. And I do recall seeing something at about <laughs> age six uh, one evening. It was a fairly clear night just before complete darkness, and a, a little lodge-shaped light uh, was, was in the sky, and I remember pointing that out asking mom and dad, hey, what is that? And uh, it was kind of brushed aside. I kind of forgot about it years later. I do recall going to school. I was in kindergarten at the time and asking my teachers what kind of a light would be shaped like this. I remember it was sort of rectangular and had a kind of triangle-looking point. Now, you know, looking back, I wonder sometimes how the, you know, especially the impressionable mind of a youth might shape that that memory. But whatever that was, that certainly, uh, you know, kept me interested enough. And here we are today. Micah, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exxon Nation, our special guest this hour is Micah Hanks. His website is www.gralienreport.com. That's G-R-A-L-I-E-N report.com. And uh, we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, our contact number, 1-800-610-7035. Email X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Major changes coming to the X-Zone in September 2011. Watch out for it if you think December 21st, 2012 is going to shake the world. Wait until you see what's happening here in the X-Zone. With yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. That's an appropriate song coming back. Jefferson Starship. Nothing's going to stop us now. Exonation, my guest this hour is Micah Hanks. And uh, from an early age, Micah has been fascinated with strange mysteries and Fortean phenomena, a field of study named for the pioneering research of all things strange, Charles Fort. 
Throughout his many years studying the world's mysteries, Mike has visited a number of places collecting information about not only aliens and UFOs, but also cultural data, folklore, and reports of strange creatures like Sasquatch. His website is www.gralianreport.com. And um, Micah has a, um, a part in this great book that we've been uh, discussing yesterday and today, Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is anybody out there? And um, his, he starts on page 107, and it's entitled Cosmic Peeping Toms, UFOs and Invisibility. Now, Micah, as, as I said, your article deals with UFOs and their apparent ability to maintain invisibility. Now, is this something common to UFO reports, or is this a relatively new observation? I would say, Rob, that this is actually pretty common. Uh, there have been a number of instances over the years where people mm-hmm. have described either seeing craft that could literally disappear in mid-flight or that, uh, you know, that somehow were able to kind of waver between the flux of what we would call reality and perhaps another dimension. Uh, now, I'm not, again, <laughs> you know, I'm not a physicist, so I'm not right. going to say that, you know, if, 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 you know, someone or something is piloting one of these crafts, uh, that they do or do not have the ability to literally travel interdimensionally. Okay, that is certainly a possibility that's been proposed by some very fantastic researchers over the years, including Jacques Vallée, who's, for those of us in ufology, he is an inspiration to us all. But uh, another fellow who kind of mentioned this notion of UFO invisibility, I mean, I think he'd been saying this probably as early as the 1970s, and most certainly in the early 1990s, was John Keel. John Keel was a researcher who was best known for his uh, authorship of the book The Mothman Prophecies, and that is truly a fascinating book. And John Keel once said that the human eye can be compared to a radio receiver. It's tuned to detect Mm -hmm. only a very small portion of the electromagnetic spectrum and the middle range of electromagnetic waves known as visible light. And thus, any wave tuned to a frequency above or below that range is invisible to the naked eye. Keel kind of supposed that this was the the reasoning behind UFO invisibility. He thought that man-made instruments such as radar, which are tuned to those higher unseen frequencies, can occasionally intercept objects that may be unseen to the human eye, and therefore flying saucers being visible agents could be possible. That was John Keel, uh, and I think he actually said that in his book, uh, The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. So this isn't a new idea, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I hope in my essay that I put forth some, some fairly unconventional uh, and maybe, uh, maybe new approaches to trying to understand technologically what these craft might be doing in order to maintain vis- uh, invisibility. Tell me, uh, do you think that these craft, whether they are interdimensional or from other planets, pose a threat to the occupants of this little planet? <laughs> I would like to hope not, Rob. I certainly would like to hope not. Uh, however, I think that that brings up an interesting point uh, that mm-hmm. should be made. When it comes to the study of UFOs, it's funny that this is, this is a subject that, uh, that is often met with dismissal. Uh, the, the notion that there are indeed unidentified aircraft from who knows where built by who knows what, mm-hmm. uh, buzzing around in Earth's atmosphere, possibly you know, leaving our atmosphere or, or even traveling here from someplace outside our atmosphere. It's an idea that is met with, with certain skepticism, and I think the reason why is because the notion, the very notion of UFOs as literal physical craft piloted by beings that are likely not to be humans, that stretches most people's conception of reality beyond where they're really kind of you know, comfortable. And I think that the natural reaction to, 
to uh, coping with with uncomfortable notions such as space aliens visiting planet Earth is outright dismissal. We see this all the time. We see it by the mainstream scientific establishment. We see, you know, we see it by people just, you know, just like you and I, fairly normal people. I I don't know that everyone, you know, writes about UFOs like I do. Mm -hmm. I consider myself fairly normal. But as a normal and, and fairly reasonable person, I would like to propose that the very fact that there is such a body of information pertaining to the study of UFOs, not just collected by civilians like myself, mm-hmm. but also gathered by people who have had a background in government, who've had a background in engineering and sciences, and have been contracted by government agencies. There is a plethora of information by qualified individuals, both within and without of government, that have said, you know, this is a valid, this is a very real phenomenon. Uh, you know, we've witnessed these things. We don't know what they are. But official reports have been drawn up. Studies have been undertaken to investigate these these crafts, and not just in the United States and Canada. I mean, in virtually all parts of the world. And so, the point that needs to be made here is that if indeed this is something that has garnered this much interest, and if these craft, by virtue of the way that they are said to be able to maneuver and behave according to these case studies and these reports, if they indeed tend to exhibit a technology that far surpasses ours, there's always that potential for threat. Now, they haven't seemed to indicate any overt desire to harm humankind. I think people have been very concerned about the idea of alien abduction, cattle mutilations, and things like this that often have these kind of malevolent overtones to them. But if we were to, and and this is just for the point, for the purpose of, of singling out UFOs right now, if we look solely at the tangible case histories, pertaining to unidentified flying objects, aircraft seen in the skies. The one thing that we have seen is that these these craft do take a certain interest in nuclear warheads and nuclear devices, missile launches and things like that. Robert Hastings, Stanton Friedman, and several others have, have actually given brilliant commentary on this. Mm-hmm. I've touched on it a little in my work, too. In fact, in this article here in the UFOs and Aliens book uh, that we've just uh, contributed to, uh, I touch on this a little bit also. And by virtue of the extreme potentials that these craft seem to have in terms of surpassing our own technology, as well as their interest in our nuclear weaponry, uh, certainly there is a potential for threat. I think they can do more with what they have than we're able to do, or maybe more than we can even understand. And for that very reason, we do need to try and take on a better understanding of what we're dealing with, what these things are, whether or not there is a threat, because as I think G.I. Joe once said, knowing is half the battle. You know, since there has been no... Um, sign of of aggression towards unprovoked attacks. Why do you think the government of the United States, Canada, and and other governments around the world suppress the information that they have about UFOs? That's a good question too. And one thing I have to bring to light about that is I think that there is a tendency to believe. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that government agencies are actively suppressing information. Now, I'm certain, I'm certain that there are various aspects of the greater UFO mystery that do not come to light. But there are also, you know, a multitude of reports that deal with UFOs. Uh, you know, for instance, I mean, you know, those that have been undertaken over the years by the CIA, right. the FBI, and some of these organizations, intelligence groups. You know, also, you know, Britain's, uh, I think, uh, British, uh, the British Air Force and... Uh, also, the Russian Navy released one uh, recently. In fact, at my website, The Graylian Report, just last year, I linked to every different uh, resource that's been posted online by government agencies where 
these organizations have posted and made public their UFO data. A lot of information that has been gathered over the years, in other words, in essence here, uh, has been released by these agencies. Now, that's not to say that everything has been released. Uh, and I think that if there is one thing that we can glean from this, uh, I think that both avenues of insight lead to a same central point. The information that's been released indicates to us essentially that there's very little understood conclusively about these craft, how they behave, where they're from, and what their purpose here on Earth is. If we look at it from the other perspective, or there's information being sat upon and it's not being released to the general public, my guess would probably be that there is information that, again, is something that is so inconclusive in terms of maybe our human ability to understand what we're dealing with that I think it's kept from the public at large, often for purposes of you know maintaining stability and order. I think that there's some information that the implications alone could be so great that it could indeed you know, evoke panics and things along the lines of Orson Welles and War of the Worlds and all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's an interesting question why, why that information would be suppressed. Many people believe that there is a you know, there's, a, there's kind of a beneficial aspect to this, that there's technology that maybe we've been given access to that could make, you know, life easier here on planet Earth for, for humankind. Some people assert that these sorts of things are already being implemented, fiber optic technology and whatnot. Um, again, I don't have the answers to that, but my best guess would be as to why things probably are being kept secret uh, is that I think that there is an unknown element there and I think that the potentials are something that maybe government officials and organizations and bodies aren't quite equipped to deal with, especially when we're talking about panics breaking out and the like. Mike, uh, here's a quick question for you, and I've got about a minute and a half before I have to go for the news. Sure. Over the years, I've talked to many people in the crypto field and the ufology field and there are those who believe that there's a definite connection between bigfoot and the sightings of ufos what's your opinion on that you know that's a that's a tricky one also um my gut instinct tells Mm -hmm. me that there's probably not i've always tried to look at bigfoot as a tangible physical entity of some Mm -hmm. sort um and and i know we've only got about a minute so i'll say this briefly that uh on the other hand there are a multitude of reports that describe bigfoot creatures and similar cryptozoological creatures doing strange things, like disappearing into thin air while the witnesses observe them. And I think if you already are going to incite ridicule by talking about seeing a creature like Bigfoot, why make the experience stranger? Some people might say, why not? But there are a lot of reports that describe this sort of thing, and this is almost something that, that, you know, that could almost be described as something similar to Bigfoot or other UFOs and invisibility disappearing. If there is indeed something interdimensional about both of these, who knows, it could be indicative of, uh, of some sort of a common thread between the two. Mm. And I could expand on that, but I know we're kind of short on yeah, time. Yeah, I've got to take my news break, so uh, you stand by. Food for thought. Exonation, our special guest this hour is Micah Hanks, and uh, he has an essay in a very interesting book that has been published by our good friends at New Page Books, www.newpagebooks.com. It's entitled Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? And for more information on Micah, he's got a great site, www.graelianreport.com. That's G-R-A-L-I-E-N report.com. So just put G-R in front of alien at a report.com. We'll be back. Don't go away.
You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. And welcome back, XO Nation. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035. Email xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Micah Hanks is our special guest this hour, and Micah has an essay in a book that we've been talking about yesterday and today. It's entitled Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? Published by our good friends at New Page Books, their website, newpagebooks.com. And um, Mike has written on Cosmic Peeping Toms, UFOs and Invisibility. And by the way, his website is Um One thing I'd like to talk to you about, uh, Micah, is... Uh, in in your in the book, there's a story about Stephen and a very large UFO he describes seeing. And how did you come how did you come across this story that you featured in this anthology? Yeah, that that story is uh, it's fascinating. And when Michael Pye, one of the editors, mm-hmm. fantastic guy, he and Kirsten Daly as well, uh, who of course compiled this anthology, when they contacted me, they said, uh, you know, what what kind of UFO stuff? Have you got? We want something that's going to be, you know, a very fresh perspective on on this emerging field. And they said we want to get, you know, some of the foremost experts on ufology to uh, to you know contribute. And so I told Michael, I said, mm-hmm. "Why are you calling me?" <laughs> no, but but in in, in honesty, uh, <clears throat> I, I really dug into my archives, and I did want to try and give something very unique for this uh, for this for this project. And and I think it worked very well along with the other essays by some of my my favorites you know not just stanton friedman and, and of course my my uh probably separated at birth uh brother nick redfern but oh, Eric yeah, Danica, and so many others um knowing i would be going up against of course you know their data and their files mm-hmm. and things it was difficult to come with with this story but there was an occasion that occurred probably in 2009 when i was actually filling in as the guest host on a regional radio program that deals with strange phenomena here in western north carolina where i'm based and 
while I was while I was sitting in as the host of this program, we were discussing UFOs. That was a, a, a general trend of mine when I would when I would guest host on various programs. I typically steer things in the direction of UFOs. The subject fascinates me, and we started getting phone calls first from people in the area who were describing objects and things that they had seen. One gentleman called in and described one of these infamous black triangles, this huge thing that was seen just over the mountain from the city of Asheville in 1988. Well, immediately after this, this phone call came in from this individual, I got this infamous um, story told to me by this man who identified himself as Stephen. And he had initially been interested in the significance of the year 1988 because he had tuned in just as the last caller was finishing his story. Mm-hmm. And I explained, you know, what the circumstances were and that this sighting of a large triangle had taken place in 1988. And he thought that was interesting because he recalled uh, in 1988, around the same time of the year, it was probably late summer, that he'd been stationed on an island called Johnston Island or Johnston Atoll. Which, and I'd mentioned earlier that there you know, are a lot of parallels that have been drawn uh, with regard to UFOs and their apparent interest in nuclear warheads, missiles, and things like that. Um, indeed, this was one of those cases. Johnston Island in the uh, 19, I guess probably starting in the, in the, in the uh, at least the mid to late 50s and on up to the 60s and whatnot, uh, Johnston Island had been involved in tests of uh, you know, missiles such as the PGM-17 Thor, uh, which was actually used in a project that was called Operation uh, Starfish Prime, which resulted in, and this essentially involved a warhead being launched up into near space, and when it exploded, there was a resulting electromagnetic pulse effect that literally was able to knock out a lot of the electrical grid near uh, Hawaii and, and the surrounding areas. And uh, <laughs> this is a certain concern for us even today. The, the threat of potential EMP or electromagnetic pulse weaponry. I think that that, you know, having, or, or rather this, this location having something to do with that history of researching this sort of technology, uh, something that, you know, has been popularized today in books like my, uh, my friend William Forstian's uh, One Second After. It's a fiction novel, but it deals with this idea, and I think that obviously the implications, the threat of our electrical grid being knocked out uh, and literally disabling civilization temporarily or maybe for an extended period, is something that potentially could have also gotten the attention of proposed extraterrestrials or who or whatever these things are piloting these UFO crafts. So it's no surprise to me that when this individual called into the program, he shared a story about when he was stationed on Johnston Atoll in 1988 and that he had been, I think, a downrange military police officer. Now, uh, downrange, of course, is just a reference to kind of the area on the island where he had been stationed. And he said at the time that there had been various activities that had taken place on the island. I think there may have been a prison of some sort at one time. So he had been kind of, uh, <clears throat> kind of working at a guard capacity and coming in off of a night shift early one morning. And this is important. Keep in mind this took place just before sunrise on this morning in 1988. Stephen and his crew were coming in, and they noticed an object in the sky. They really couldn't tell very much about the size they could see that it was round, mm-hmm. it might have been spherical, and that this object, although it looked like it could have maybe had a sort of metallic appearance to the, you know, or a texture to the exterior, it was difficult to tell, and the reason for this was that Stephen said that the object actually seemed to kind of absorb the, the light there in the faint pre-dawn morning. So they continued watching this thing, and it kept getting, as he described, bigger and bigger, 
and bigger. Now, I don't know if this was to indicate that the craft was actually high above them at one point and was descending and getting closer and closer, or if this was indeed some sort of small craft at one point that actually started expanding. It's very, uh, very curious trying to trying to decipher the meaning of this. And Stephen didn't really have an answer either. All he knew is that this craft was taking up more and more of the space above the island. Well, he got on the radios and people started getting you know, getting in touch with the control stations and whatnot. I think he said that there was a starred general that had been visiting the uh, the island that morning and that he one of his superior officers had actually radioed down and had, had asked, you know, okay, what is this thing? Well, people at the radar station had said they couldn't, quote-unquote, paint it. They couldn't pick this up on their radars, so mm-hmm. they didn't know what it was. And Stephen said, one thought kept occurring to me in my mind as I'm looking at this thing, this massive craft. What are we going to do if it lands? Where are we going to go? We're ill-equipped to defend ourselves if this thing decides to park here on the atoll, on the island. And at that moment, Stephen said they were all just kind of waiting. And then as the sun broke over the, the horizon there, the first rays of dawn's light struck this object. He said it vanished. Into, into, I mean, he, it literally, he said it didn't go up, it didn't go out, it didn't, it didn't travel. He said it just literally vanished. And it, this, this, this appearance was so sudden that he literally got the feeling that not only the, 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 the sunlight and the presence of actual sunlight hitting this craft had something to do with its disappearance, he even likened it to being some sort of a uh, malfunction and that this was something that he thought they weren't supposed to be able to see, but that given the circumstances, something malfunctioned something about the way that this thing operated in conjunction with daylight, and this caused them to be able to see this thing for a short time. And then when it vanished, he got the distinct impression Mm -hmm. that this craft, whatever it was, was still there, but had become invisible. And this is just one of many kinds of reports that have been related over the years in the the literature pertaining to UFOs, where these craft have apparently disappeared in in this fashion, and it suggests some sort of cloaking technology or ability to remain invisible to the human eye. Is it possible that this craft was actually a terrestrial vehicle, an experimental aircraft? Well, you know, I wondered that also, and I asked Stephen, I said, you know, what's the possibility mm-hmm. that this was a, you know, a test craft that someone had been using? And he, he kind of uh, said that, that based on the reaction that the, the other individuals on the island were, were displaying, uh, the panic, <laughs> That he he had, he certainly had never seen anything like this himself, and other people that he had spoken to said that they'd never seen anything like it either. Um, so he at least got the impression that this was not indeed something of our own, so to speak. And so when I was actually working on the essay that appeared in this anthology, uh, one of the other contributors, Stanton Friedman, who I've gotten to know pretty well uh, since since actually writing this essay, uh, he, he was kind enough to give me some commentary on this. And of course, Stanton worked back in the 1960s. For uh, Donald Douglas, and uh, you know, had uh, actually worked as a physicist on trying to understand and develop the potential for nuclear-powered aircraft. Now, uh, Stanton said that indeed, <laughs> based on the studies of these sort of crafts that he participated in, it didn't sound like something that was one of our own either. Um, we can't, we can't, you know, exclude that possibility. I don't think, Rob, but. Certainly, it doesn't seem to be something that people who are fairly in the know mm-hmm. that I've spoken to about this sort of thing and about secret government craft and the like, it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that many of them, uh, many of them had an ex- uh, explanation for. 
Tell me, how long do you believe that we have been under the watchful eye of those from other planets? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, <clears throat> I personally, I personally am of a mind to say that I'm not convinced that this UFO enigma, whatever it actually is, I'm not convinced that this represents something that is indeed extraplanetary, mm -hmm. that these are aliens from outer space. Now, that's a conventional theory, and I think that, uh, that over the years, over the decades, that, that that has been kind of fueled by the things we've observed these craft do. Astronauts, for instance, have observed these things, sort of tailing them while they're flying around up there, you know, in Earth orbit. And we've also seen these things when they take off. I mean, if we're standing on the ground, ground for instance, and we see a UFO with a classic flying disc in the sky, most often these things will tend to fly up and out and go up into the sky. So we have a tendency to think by virtue of the eyes see, the mind believes, that mm -hmm. these things are flying off back into outer space, and hence they're probably coming from space as well. Interestingly, in his book, back in the early 1970s, Invisible Residence, I mentioned Ivan Sanderson and his search into abominable snowmen. Well, Sanderson also used to research UFOs and also what he called USOs, underwater submerged yes, objects, yeah. that acronym and the words used in that acronym have changed variously over the years. But essentially it deals with the notion of UFOs that enter water or that are seen near water. And I found, very interestingly, that Sanderson said the very same thing back in the early 70s in that book that the Russian Navy released most recently in their, in their batch of UFO files that they placed in the public domain a couple of years ago. And that was this, that more than 50% of all these sightings of UFO craft tends to occur near water or with these craft coming out of the water or going into the water. So what we could be dealing with, first and foremost, is maybe something that is not extraplanetary or you know extraterrestrial. Maybe this is indeed something that is, A, from right here, or B, something that is kind of using Earth as a go-between, as, as a base, maybe even something interdimensional. And the more that we tend to, to learn and, and accumulate in terms of our knowledge of you know, other dimensions and, and, and mm -hmm. I guess, extra-dimensional physics, thanks to guys like Michio Kaku and even Einstein, going a little further back. You know, I think that people are kind of warming up to the idea that this could be something that is interdimensional in nature. So how long have we been watched by these things? Yeah. Well, it depends on what they are and where they're from. If they're extraterrestrials, maybe these nuclear sorts of tests mm -hmm. did indeed garner the, uh, the attention of these watchful beings that maybe have a, a certain concern in our activities here on Earth. If there's something from right here on Earth, and they're actually terrestrial rather than extraterrestrial, it's pretty clear why they would be concerned about that sort of thing as well. All right, based on based on based on your your upbringing as as the son of a of a of a minister or a pastor, yeah. is is it possible that the angels of early times that are talked about in the Bible were actually ETs? Okay, you know that's a different perspective, also. In fact, Nick Redfern touches on that in his book, Final Events, uh, which, and, and more and more people are kind of getting into this notion that there is something evil about mm -hmm. these, these, uh, these beings, uh, maybe something demonic. Uh, if that is indeed the case, uh, or even if that's not the case, I think it certainly um, would probably be uh, a decent argument that could be made that early civilizations, early peoples in ancient times, and their sightings of everything from, you know, Ezekiel seeing wheels in the sky, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these reports of Alexander the Great seeing these flying shields 
and things. You know, all these kind of early reports probably deal with something similar to or the very sorts of things that we've seen today and call UFOs and flying saucers. So, yeah, I think that, that that's certainly a possibility, and that's another angle as to what these things are and where they're from. All right, stand by. We've got to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Micah Hanks is our special guest today in the book. Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? Page 107. Cosmic Peeping Toms, UFOs and Invisibility. It's written by our guest this hour, Micah Hanks. And you can find out more about Micah on his website, www.graylianreport.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again... 1-800-610-7035, 1-800-610-7035, email exxon at exxonradiotv.com, on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, exxonradiotv.com. When I'm alone with you. Micah Hanks is our special guest. He's one of the contributors who uh, did an original essay for a new book that is published by New Page Books, www.newpagebooks.com. It's entitled Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? We touched on this very briefly, Micah, but do you believe that people are actually being abducted by aliens for sinister experimentation and the infamous anal probe? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. There's been a lot of research that's come out in, in recent uh, uh, months. I mean, this is that's how recent this is, literally. I can't even say years yet. <clears throat> uh, and, and it seems to point to the notion that a lot of the, the, uh, the abduction lore yeah. is kind of interlinked with, with hypnotism, which is something that we really have to take a, a very careful look at. I don't doubt that people can be hypnotized, mm-hmm. but the question and what we need to really understand better is how susceptible people are to influence while under the uh, influence of hypnotism. And uh, I think it was uh, actually uh, an article by Carol Rainey that appeared in the Paratopia magazine titled Co-Creation of a Phenomenon that literally was talking about you know, how much mm-hmm. of what we accept as an integral part of the UFO phenomenon, alien abduction theories, how much of that is actually something that may have been the result of influence mm. on part of the hypnotists. Now, there are argues both for and against, and I'll tell you this, in terms of whether I think that there is indeed abduction occurring and how it is related to UFOs, I think that there's clearly something going on, but I think that there's also enough evidence to warrant a second look, and I'm actually one to say I call for potential, at very least temporary, removal of the two study of UFOs as flying objects, and then the study of what we call alien abduction. Remove those two from one another so that they don't influence mm-hmm. each other 
to use that term again, and study the two separate elements so that we can try and come to a common ground. And if indeed there are patterns and correlations, then we can look at them as the whole sum of some strange phenomenon we're trying to come to terms with. Makes perfect sense. And by the way, um, you know, I, I've I've suffered the the infamous anal probe, but it was for a colonoscopy, so oh, I can only imagine. Time, yeah. I can only imagine what the aliens are are doing and. Mm, Mind you, they're, they're supposed to be more advanced, so shouldn't they have much more uh, better medical equipment, Craig? Yeah, who knows? Listen, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can get their very own copy of Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? This book, I'm very glad to say, is going to be available in bookstores everywhere. You can also visit newpagebooks.com. And, heck, I'll have a, a link up also at grayleanreport.com. And, of course, that URL, which you have so kindly given out many times already, is www.gralienreport.com. So come check it out. I'm Micah Hanks, and, uh, you know, you can always email me if you have, uh, you know, updates, postscripts, and additions you'd like to add after you've read the uh, the article. And that email is info at GraylianReport.com. So, Rob, thanks so much. It's been a great pleasure. Look forward to talking to you again in the future, and keep the great work up. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Micah Hanks has been my guest this hour. He is one of the contributors who did an original essay for a brand-new book by our good friends at New Page Books. Exposed, uncovered, and declassified UFOs and aliens. Is there anybody out there? You know, after watching CNN every morning, I... I often wonder if they're really looking for intelligent life, what the hell they're doing here. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 